Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. It is Wednesday. We call it Get Over the Hump Day. We have a very busy day today, a lot of meetings lined up. We have a great Bible study lined up for tomorrow. We look forward to that as well. Uh, Or tonight, what am I saying tomorrow? So tonight we have a great, uh, just a great day ahead of us. Looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Uh, We're going to get into some very deep conversation today. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off yesterday. And uh, I I think what we're going to talk about is going to be, you know, more expressive about what's happening in our world and in our hearts and how we're doing. I want to thank everybody for your prayers from yesterday's broadcast. Really do appreciate it. I've spent the last 24 hours going back. It's like the Holy Spirit took me on a journey all the way back to a long, long, long time ago in my life. And uh, he showed me some very interesting things. And I want to get into that just a little bit. But Today we're going to be dealing with or talking about racism and prejudice and how the Bible actually deals with that issue. And so I hope that you'll be able to tune in with us today and get going. Uh, I began the broadcast today with a, with a message for those of you that are uh, reading the headlines of what we're doing every day. Uh, today we titled the message, By His Stripes You Are Healed. A holy manifestation of the kingdom of God shall break forth upon the earth. Hear it with your ears, your spiritual ears. The breaking forth shall come as the dawn of a new day. This breaking forth shall come like the light rays of the rising sun, and it shall break forth through you, the believer, the sons and daughters of the living God. Watch and see what the Lord will do in the 
the midst of gross darkness. I believe that there is a manifestation of the kingdom of God coming through a people. Where is the kingdom of God? It's within you. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of meat and drink, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. Therefore, the kingdom of God is within you. And there will be an outbreak, a display, an effulgence, one of those favorite words, of the kingdom of God that's going to break forth like the dawn of a new day in the light rise, the light rays of a rising sun. And the scripture to back that up is in Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. And I want to go into just a tiny bit of detail on this. Second Peter chapter one, verse nineteen says it this way. We have also sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. All right, so what is, what is this all about here? Let's go into a little detail on this issue. And I want to go up just a few verses above it in verse 16. So let's break it down a little bit. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter was talking, and he said, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, praise God, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter is writing to his audience to you and I as well, to give us information, revelation, insight, understanding. And he's talking about how they were not following cunningly devised fables, uh, but were actual eyewitnesses of the Lord's majesty, the majesty of King Jesus. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, where did that happen? That's in Matthew chapter 17. That's in Mark chapter 9, I believe it is, when Jesus took the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up into a high mountain, and that was known as the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, that is what Peter is actually referring to because he was there, and he's telling the people, his audience, that we're not following, you know, junk you know, ideas and man-made philosophies and all that. Uh, We were eyewitnesses. And what did he say? He said that God, he received from God, Jesus Christ received from God, the Father, honoring glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. And that excellent glory came when the cloud covered the mountain. You'll remember that. And the voice that came out of the cloud was, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And verse 18 says, And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter is retelling the story about the day that Jesus took them up into a high mountain. He was transfigured before them. They saw Moses and Elijah, and they saw the Lord effulgencing the glory that was in him. The cloud overshadowed them. The voice of God spoke. He gave honor to the Son when he said, Peter was saying, let us make three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And God said, no, this is my son. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, 
And God said, no, my preeminence is no longer in the law and the prophets. It's now in my son. Listen to him. That's where he gave him the glory and the honor and the excellency. Then in verse 19, Peter says to us, we have also a more sure word. You do. I do. We have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed. So what is this prophecy that you and I are to take heed to as, and we're to take heed to it as unto a light that shines in a dark place until, so take heed until the day dawn, hallelujah, there's a dawning of a new day, and the day star arise in your hearts. There is a day star rising in your hearts. And if the day star is rising in your hearts, behold the dawn of a new day. Behold the outray, the effulgence, the outshining of that day star. And what is that day star? Well, in the Greek, when it talks about the day star, it's literally referring to the day star is the, in the Greek, the Phosphoros, the Phosphoros, and that literally means light bringing or giving light. It talks about the planet Venus, the morning star, the day star, metaphorically, Christ, uh, uh, Christ in you. It literally means, now this is the, uh, the Phosphorus, Phosphorus is where we get Phosphorus in the English, right? Light bearing, and then it literally uses the word Phosphorus i.e. especially the morning star, uh, figuratively the day star. So what is the day star that's rising? Well, it's not Venus, okay? It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we have this incredible idea. And you know what I want to do just for the fun of it here? Uh, Let me just do it. Watch this. I love it. Hey, Siri, what does the word phosphorus mean? So, something that glows in the dark. You and I have come to the dark day in the world. And we know that the prophet Isaiah said that there would come both glorious light and gross darkness. The light is never more light than when there's darkness. So you and I, the Spirit of the Lord is saying to all true believers around the world, that our generation is going to manifest forth the glory of Christ in us, who is the day star. He is the light that shines in the darkness. He shined in our hearts. Remember, it says in Corinthians that the light of Christ shined in our hearts. So that light that shines in us is Christ. And now there's going to be an effulgencing. There's going to be an outraying. There's going to be a glowing of light in the dark moment on this earth. And this is where the wise virgins come into play because there's oil in their lamps. It's the midnight cry. There's darkness everywhere. If you don't have light in your vessel, if you don't have oil in your lamp, you're never going to be able to light the day to navigate through the dark times. 
but we need to know that the light that we're talking about is in us, the oil of the Holy Spirit, the unction, the anointing, that which allows for our wick to burn as candles of the Lord. And thank God our light is not our own, but that light is Christ, full of wisdom, understanding, intelligence, knowledge, divine revelation, and everything else connected to Christ. So again, I want to encourage you that the day star is arising in your heart according to the word of God, the phosphorus light. And then in verse 20, Peter went on to say this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So again, he's talking about a prophecy. What is that prophecy? The prophecy is that the day star is arising in your heart. So in other words, the word of God, the prophetic word of God, is that there will be a people in whom the kingdom of God would be established, in whom Christ would be formed. Remember, O little children in whom I travail again until Christ be formed in you. And that formation of Christ is the outraying, the putting on display, the, the, the day star, the light, Jesus Christ coming to brightness. There's a bright light shining, and it's growing on the inside of you. And the time is coming that that light is going to shine forth and manifest like Jesus, the firstborn son, went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he outraged, put on display, he effulgenced the glory that was in him. It came out. They saw it in the spirit on the mountain. And now it will happen in his body. First, the head, then the body. Jesus manifested forth glory. Can you imagine, can you imagine, for those who believe, that there is light that is ready to shine all over this world at the same time through believers like Moses who came down out of the mountain and his countenance was so bright they had to put a veil over his face because they could not look at the brightness of his countenance. That's Old Testament. So as Moses was in the mount and had an effulgence, his own, the shining light of God upon his countenance, well, Moses was actually in the mountain with Jesus and Elijah, and he witnessed a more excellent glory because what was happening with Jesus wasn't something coming on him. It was what was bursting forth out of him. And the light that is in you is not coming from without on you. The light within you is the day star, which is Christ arising within you. You are the light of the world. And so the more excellent glory that even Moses was observing is a light that Yeshua said, this is the glory that will be in you. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given them. And if the glory that was in Christ manifested forth up on that mountain, it is in the divine purpose of God that the body of Christ, the body of Christ, would effulgence, shine, release, manifest, the divine glory within us. And that light is not our own. It is Christ. But it is in God's economy. It is in God's purpose. It is in God's intention that the light of Christ in the ecclesia would shine forth in the world in which we live, especially the deeper the gets. Wow. And then he said in verse 21, for 
The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Well, I want to encourage you today that if you believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, and your belief in him has opened you up to receive from him the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells in our heart by faith, okay, that the Holy Spirit is the oil, the anointing that comes into our lives, that brings transformation, that brings development and cultivation to the new nature, that we have been born again, not of corruptible seed of our fathers, liquid seed, but we have been born again of the incorruptible word of God, and that logos word of God, and that rhema word of God that has been spoken into the good soil of our hearts, we have been impregnated by a seed in the good soil. And the good soil of our hearts is reproducing what is in that seed. And that seed that was sown into the good soil of our heart is Christ. And therefore, if we truly have been born again and we have received the incorruptible word of God, the seed of God, then that seed is Christ. And within that seed is the divine nature. It is everything that Christ is. And so be encouraged if you know you're born again. If you have been born again by the incorruptible word of God, the seed, the sperma of God, and it's in the good soil of your heart, then there has to be a reproducing of what is in that seed. And we know in Galatians chapter 3 that Christ, Jesus, is the promised seed. He is the seed to come. The seed to come. And when Christ came physically, we know that the intention was to allow spiritually Christ's nature <laughs> to be planted in the good soil of our hearts. This is all God's purpose. This is all God's plan. And now, after 2,000 years or two millennial days, in this prophetic third day, God is going to put on display the glorious nature that has been developing and cultivating and growing on the inside of believers, and the veil of our humanity is going to be taken out of the way, and the light beams of the glory of Christ are going to shine. And that means there's going to come an excellent wisdom, an excellent glory, miracles, signs, wonders, the power of God, the nature of Christ, the divine character, oh my goodness, the divine attributes, everything Christ. It is not a future event in the heavens. It's something that God has been preparing for an exact moment all over the earth from China, Asia, Jerusalem, Israel, wherever in the whole world. There are those who have been born again, born again, spirit-filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, have received the nature, have received the seed, and have been working out, put off the old man, put on the new man, getting that new cloth, getting that new wine, Everything is divine from the inside out. Truly, it is an inside job. But be encouraged. The Word of God says there's a day star growing in your heart. There's a day star dawning, a day star arising in your hearts. Wow. So having said that, okay, it doesn't matter how gross or how deep the darkness is, whenever light shines, it overcomes the darkness. 
The darkness, according to Scripture, has never overcome the light. The darkness has never overcome the light. The light that is in you as a believer, as a son and daughter of the Most High God, who have been accepted in the Beloved, who have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, who have been born again, filled with the Spirit of God, sealed with the Spirit of God, which is the foretaste or the down payment of our inheritance, the full inheritance that we have throughout eternity. But we have this right now, this seal of God. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. There's something going on inside of you that's ready to manifest all over this world. In your sphere of influence, there is going to come an outray and a put on display. In the light, for a moment, we know this in Scripture, for a moment, this light will have a momentary eclipse. In the book of Revelation, we're told that the Antichrist forces will overcome the saints. They will overcome them in the sense of not allowing the saints to do anything during that period of time. It is coming a very dark moment on the face of the earth during the Great Tribulation where the ecclesia, the sons of God, the people of God, will not be able to do anything in the world as far as shining the light. It should be shining in the right here, the right now. There is time coming of an eclipse. That's what the Bible actually predicts, an eclipse of the light, not an overcoming of the light, not a putting away of the light, not an extinguishing of the light, just like we get in a solar eclipse where something object gets in the way. It doesn't stop the light from being light. It just gets in the way. And for three and a half years, there's a force coming, an obstacle coming. It's going to get in the way and it's going to go dark everywhere on this earth. It doesn't mean the light's not in you. It's there. In a moment that time passes, that obstacle will move out of the way after three and a half years, according to the word of God. And after that three and a half years, that light will shine. The light of the world is actually going to return. There's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a translation, a harpazo. I tell you, the light is going to be brighter than ever, ever before. There's a day star arising in your heart. That day star is Christ. He has been in you all along. He is the light that lightens your path. And you're now coming to a very incredible moment in the history of the world. There are obstacles, there are forces at work in the world, the flesh and the devils doing everything in their power to prevent that light, which is Christ, birthing in you or manifesting forth, okay? The enemy does not want light in the world. It doesn't want truth. It doesn't want wisdom. It doesn't want understanding. It wants its own truth, wisdom, and understanding, but not the truth, wisdom, and understanding of Christ. Okay, but you are the only bearer of that wisdom, that light, and that truth of Christ. It's in you. Therefore, it has to come out of you to lighten the darkness, to expose what is dark, to show that this philosophy and wisdom of the world, though it sound excellent, is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's, that you're carrying, the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of God, the truth, the light the glory. 
So we have a job to do, and there are forces wanting to keep that light from shining. All of the Word of God is light. By His stripes, you really are healed. But the devil doesn't want that light to become a reality. So he blocks it with doubt and fear and unbelief and offense, and he brings sin. He does everything in his power to get you from not allowing that light word of truth to become reality. He wants to hold everything back. But the inexpressible reality is it will not happen. There will be an outrage. There will be a breakout. There will be a release of the glory we're talking about today. So be encouraged with that. It's in the Bible. It's all true. We're in the prophetic moment where these things are coming about. So today I want to go, with that said, into a little bit of discussion about racism and prejudice. Uh, Today they use terms like race baiting, race baiting. They're baiting people to get into racism or prejudice, right? As we said yesterday, this spirit has been around for a very, very long time, okay? And rather than diving into the past of all this, we already know that the word race comes from the Bible as an ethnos. Nation shall rise against nation. That's ethnos shall rise against ethnos. And the word ethnos means race. Race shall rise against. It's been going on for a long time. This is nothing new. What's new is the solution. Now, the solution to racism and prejudice has been in the earth for 2,000 years. The genuine solution, the exact, perfect solution to racism and prejudice came into the earth 2,000 years ago. And I want to reference a passage of Scripture out of Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians chapter 2, let's deal with this, dealing with racism and prejudice. How did God actually do that? Well, we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And... You can reference stories like out of John chapter 4, the woman at the well that Jesus sat on, and she was a Samaritan. And that whole conversation shows that what do the Jews have to do with the Samaritans? Okay, there was a, there was a prejudice there. There was a racial barrier between the Jews and the Samaritans. Okay, so this goes all the way back. Now, what did Jesus do in John chapter 4? Well, he brought the entire city of Samaria up and out unto himself and broke down the barrier where his Jewish disciples were now serving them, okay? So, uh, and, and, and God was integrating. He was gathering into himself. Yeshua was gathering into himself the Jews and the Samaritans that had all these issues. So Yeshua was not saying I'm only for the Jews. I have racial problems with the Samaritans. No, he was saying, I am not a Jew. You've got to understand this about Jesus. He was Jewish in his earth suit, right? But what we know, according to Corinthians, 
We are not supposed to know Jesus after the flesh, which means we don't know him as a Jew anymore. In fact, he said, the writer of the, of the epistles, of Paul, one of them, said that in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew or Gentile, male or female. Okay, so he, Jesus, broke down the barrier of separation in humanity. And he called the Adamic, human-natured humanity into himself, which was Christ. So what he was really doing was pulling out of Adam into himself, Christ, and, and doing something. We're going to talk about it right now. What was Jesus doing when he was bringing the Samaritans unto himself, into salvation, unto God, and mixing them, if you will, bringing the Jew and the Samaritan, bringing them together, what was he doing? Well, let's take a look at it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. This is Paul the Apostle writing to the church at Ephesus that had Jews and Gentiles in it. And listen to how he puts it. Wherefore, remember that you, being in time past, okay, What is that phrase there, in time past? It's the pote, and it means formerly, at some time, once before, okay? In old time. So here we have a scripture. Wherefore, remember that you, being in time past, Gentiles. All right, so the Gentile is the ethnos, all right? And the ethnos was a multitude. It literally means a race, okay? You were a race, a tribe, especially a foreign, non-Jewish one. Literally means heathen, nation, pagan. So what is Paul saying to the Gentiles? Okay, to the church of Ephesus, these are people that came to faith in Jesus Christ. There were Jews in that ecclesia. There were Gentiles. But Paul had been teaching them something, and he's telling them to remember that you in the old time were Gentiles. In the flesh, you were pagans. You were non-Jewish. You were the goyim, as it's called, okay? So you were Gentiles in the flesh, in the sarks, in the humanity. The word flesh there is the word sarks, and it means carnal or carnally. It means flesh, okay? So it's just something that is external, external. He says, you were, in time past, Gentiles. Remember, time past, you were Gentiles in the flesh, who are called, you were called, the uncircumcision. Okay, what does it mean to be uncircumcised? The acrobastia. And what is the acrobastia? Having the foreskin. In other words, you are those, it it literally talks about a modified form or the penis or male sexual organ, the preface, by implication, an uncircumcised Gentile, unregenerate, figuratively speaking, or the state of a person, not circumcised. So one still having the foreskin. And you get back into the teaching of Abraham and how God gave him the covenant of circumcision to cut away the foreskin of a man's or the young male's private part, 
let's ski as nice as we can with it. There it is. So he said that the, that the Jewish people were calling you Gentiles in the flesh. You were also called the uncircumcision, okay, unregenerate, foreskinned. There's been no work in your life of God, so you're a pagan and a heathen. And who called them that? You were called that by them, which is called the circumcision, or those who had been circumcised. And that word circumcision is the paratami, a little bit different of a word, which literally means the condition of a person who has been figuratively cut. All right? Circumcision. So we have these two words bringing distinction, and that's all there was. You're either circumcised or you're uncircumcised. If you're circumcised, you were known as Jewish. If you're uncircumcised, if you're not Jewish, you're everything else in the world, okay? And this was what was going on. And so these believers had come to faith in Yeshua, and Paul's writing them, telling them, that's what you used to be, okay? But, and you were called that by those who were called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. So these were the physical, external Jewish people from the loins of Abraham, the, the natural seed of Israel. That's what they called them. Verse 12. That at that time, in the past, Gentile, uncircumcised, at that time, you were, without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So in other words, Paul was saying to the Gentiles at the church of Ephesus, before you got saved, you weren't a Jew from the loins of Abraham. You were Gentiles in Ephesus, today modern-day Turkey, right? Here you were, these people. You didn't have God. You, had no, you didn't know the commonwealth of Israel, the covenants of promise. You were without hope in the world. You had your ideas, your idols, and all that, but you were really doomed what he was saying. You were without God in the world, the true God. Verse 13, but now, okay, but now, oh, hallelujah, hear it clearly. Here's where Yeshua is going to begin to really deal with prejudice and racism. Okay, watch how he does it. He's dealing with Jews and Gentiles now, and he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, and that word, there, that phrase there, far off, I want to look at that. It's the makron, and it means simply at a distance, way off, okay? You, let's look, look at it again, at now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, you were Gentiles, you were uncircumcised, you were without hope. You were without God in the world. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You were aliens, okay? And you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That's who you were. But now, in Christ, you who sometimes were far off, in Christ now, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So we're talking about blood, right? Because blood is what flows in every human being. Is that correct? There's only one blood, Adam. Adam's one blood. Out of Adam came 
all the races of the world, right? But Christ's blood is different blood than Adam. Christ's blood is a higher bloodline than the bloodline of Adam. Even the Jewish people came out of the bloodline of Adam. Understand this. Okay, They're, Abraham's blood was no different than Adam's blood. It is Christ's blood, which is a higher form of bloodline. It is God's bloodline itself. Now, he says that we are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Well, we think, well, the Jews were already there. Well, you're going to see that's not true. Because of the fallen bloodline of Adam, no Mosaic law, nothing that had been prior to Christ could do anything about the human condition, even though you were called a Jew. The humanity of Adam was in everybody because it's the same blood. But watch this. In verse 14, for he is our peace. Uh-oh. So Paul's writing to the Gentiles. He's talking about we're now being made nigh by the blood of Christ. Being nigh to what? What are we getting made nigh to? Right? So he, Yeshua, Jesus, is our peace, the Irene. And that word Irene literally means, I love this, set at one again. Set at one again. Now, what does that mean? We know that when God created Adam, he created Adam in his image and likeness. And we know when sin came in, the image and likeness of God separated Adam, man, from God in nature, because he was created in the image and likeness of God. So sin disrupted the nature. Now through Christ, all of a sudden what's happening here? We are, ba- we are made at one again. Because God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So through Christ, we are reconciled. He is our peace. He is what brings us at one again with the Father. Watch how this works now. Verse 14, Ephesians 2, for he is our peace, Jesus Christ, who has made both, both what? The Jew and the Gentile, the circumcision and the uncircumcision, both, okay? Look what he's done. He has made both one. Now, that word one there is the heis, okay, or the ice, and it literally means one, abundantly one. That's what it means. So in Christ, he made both one, and look how he did it. In verse 14, the latter part, and has broken down. Broken down. Let's look at that meaning. The phrase there, broken down, is the luo. And that word luo, there's so much to it. It means to loosen, to break up, to destroy, to dissolve to unloose, to melt. This is the Greek word luo that comes from another word, lutron. And this is the word we get for redemption. 
Ah, redemption. So here we have the middle wall broken down, dissolved, melted, destroyed, broken up, loosened. All right? So that's what he did. He made both one, has broken down the middle wall. What is the middle wall? The middle wall there refers to the Mesotokoan, and here's what that means. It was a partition wall, okay? It was a partition, figuratively, a middle wall, and that's it. In other words, it was a wall that separated the Jew from the Gentile. The Jews, the chosen people on planet Earth through the Abrahamic covenant who had the law of Moses, they were a separated people unto God. Everybody else was on this side of the wall. Now, in Jesus broke that wall down. Now you have the Jew and you have the Gentile. Christ Jesus broke that wall down. That's what it says. He has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of partition. Now the word partition here is the phragmos. Ah, sounds like fragment, right? So the phragmos is a hedge or a fence, something that separates or prevents two from coming together. So the middle wall of partition prevented two coming together. It also talks about an enclosing barrier, etc., etc. Now, He broke down the middle wall of partition between us, between the Jew and the Gentile, between the circumcision and the uncircumcision. How did he do it? How did Jesus do this? You just saw that there was a middle wall of partition. But there's a greater purpose here. Because when that wall came down, the Gentiles didn't become Jewish. Even though we've been grafted in to the Israel of God, there's no doubt about that. But watch this. This is really important. A lot of people think when the middle wall came down, the Jewish people and all the Gentiles now came into Judaism. It's not what happened. Look what really happened. It says in verse 15, speaking of Jesus Christ, who broke down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, Contained in ordinances, what did he do? He abolished in his flesh on the cross, okay, that's where it's all happening. When he was on the cross, he was abolishing the enmity, the hostility. The word enmity there is the ektrop. It really talks about um, the reason for opposition or hatred, okay? So when God gave his what? His law of commandments contained in ordinances. He, Jesus abolished that, and those laws of commandments is what separated the people out of the Abrahamic covenant, the Jews. Okay, But now this enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, he abolished it for to make in himself, watch now, to make in himself, to make in Christ of two the Jew and the Gentile nations, to make of himself of two one new man, so making peace. 
So making peace, the irene, set at one. It goes deeper, but let's, let's just pause for a moment. Everything that made the Jews Jewish from the Abrahamic covenant all the way through to Christ, the law of Moses, everything that made them Jewish, everything that separated them, everything that made them say, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. If you're not Jewish, you're not circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you're uncircumcised. You're heathen. You're pagan. Under that condition, the Jews viewed them as bad, without God, without hope. True. Because they didn't have the God of Abraham, the Gentile world. So Jesus comes with a purpose to break down this middle wall of enmity, opposition between the races of the Jews and the Gentiles. And he did it because it was in his mind, the mind of God, to make of the two, the Jew and the Gentile, one new man, so making peace. This is, can only be found in Christ Jesus. He is the solution to racism. He is the solution to prejudice. In Christ Jesus, we know that there's neither male nor female, We know that there's neither Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, free, bond. None of that exists in Christ. All right? This is where he's going. And so he's making peace. One new man. Now, the word new there is the kainos. And this kainos means freshness. Freshness. A new kind and unprecedented novel, uncommon, unheard of. So for 4,000 years on planet Earth, Adam and all of his distinction, all of his outrage, even the Jewish people that were taken out of Adam, you know, they were still all of that. But in Christ Jesus, he's making in himself of the two one new kind of man, one unprecedented, one novel, one uncommon to the Adam man, one unheard of. What is this? Well, this is what's happening in true faith in the word of God. Watch what he does here. He's making peace between the races through Christ, also making peace with the races in God. In other words, he's bringing the entirety of the human race of Adam through himself and is making that Adamic race a new uncurred. In other words, he's bringing them into a new man named Christ. There are two men in the earth. There's Adam and there's Christ. Watch how he does it. In verse 16, because a lot of people think, well, wait, uh, you know, we're going into the Jewish Gentile paradigm. No, no, no. Watch verse 16. He did this, verse 16, making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God. Wait a second. The Jews needed to be reconciled unto God? Yes. The Gentiles needed to be reconciled unto God? Yes. What does this mean? 
that he might reconcile. The word reconcile there is the epoktelasso, and it means to reconcile completely or to reconcile back again or to bring back a former state of harmony. Hmm. To reconcile fully. There's a lot more to that reconciliation. The doctrine of reconciliation is awesome, and that's why Christ is in us reconciling the world as well. Uh, We have been given, Paul said, the ministry of reconciliation. So there was once a harmony that existed with God and man. That harmony was broken because of sin. God began with all these different covenants with Abraham and the law of Moses to try to separate a people unto himself to get that harmony back. It was only a temporary fix until Christ would come. And then Christ would begin with the Jewish people to bring them out of Judaism unto himself to bring them back to the Father through him, which the law could not do. But he also extended it to the Gentile world. And here we have that he might reconcile both the Jew and the Gentile unto God in one body by the cross. Oh, having slain the enmity by it. In other words, he slew the enmity by the cross. He reconciled both the Jew and the Gentile unto God in one body. So that means if you're a Jewish believer in Yeshua and you're a Gentile believer in Yeshua, both the Jew and the Gentile go through the cross into Christ and become a new species an unheard of, an uncommon man. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of that new species. He is the unheard of, uncommon, unprecedented, novel man, which God originally intended his creation to be. So what Adam was intended to be before the fall is fully realized in Jesus Christ. He is the second man from heaven. He is the image and likeness of God. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the express image of the Father and that you and I are being conformed into the exact image, into the same image. Are you understanding what true Christianity is about? Are we understanding this is not about an external work? This is not about race and prejudice, black, white, red, yellow, green, None of that exists in Christ. Male and female do not even exist in Christ. It's not there. Jesus Christ puts an end to all of that. And when you and I begin to walk in the spirit of that reality, the spirit of that truth, we transcend, we overcome, we go beyond these race-baiting days. Come on. The job is to bring every man, woman, and child into Christ. Our work is to bring all man, regardless of how broken he is, regardless of what color he is, regardless of their culture. We bring them to Christ. And once there are people in Christ, it doesn't exist anymore. The Spirit is working all that out. That's all connected to an old, Adamic, fallen human nature. Last time I checked, 
we have been born again. If any man or woman be in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So, yeah, we're picking up what's going on in the world around us. We're picking up all of it. Racism, prejudice, lust, pride, vanity, ego. And the more sensitive we get in the spirit, the more we pick up all this stuff that's going on. But it's not who we are anymore. Our approach is not a Jew to a Samaritan or a Jew to a Gentile. That doesn't exist in the spirit, in the new, unheard of, unprecedented, novel man. That is Christ. That's what he's saying. So he reconciled both unto God in one body, his own, by the cross, having slain the enmity by the cross, thereby. Verse 17 just says, and he came and preached peace. There it is. He preached Irene, set at one again, to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh, the Jew and the Gentile. He preached, set at one again, as a new Adam. See, the intention of God, you have to admit this, when God made man in the Garden of Eden, he made him to multiply, be fruitful and multiply, reproduce after your kind, Adam, in an unfallen state. And the intention of God was to fill the earth with the Adamic race that was in the image and likeness of God, but because of sin, the purpose broke down. But through Jesus Christ, the purpose reactivates, is quickened, reanimated, revivified. Come on. It's being brought back to life in Christ from generation to generation for 2,000 years. And we are the 50th generation since Christ was on the earth, a generation being 40 years in this context. We're the 50th, 40-year generation. That means we are the Jubilee generation, the release, the returning of all things. It's the, it's the year of all things returning. So we are the Jubilee generation and the eternal purpose of God that is in Christ that began 2,000 years ago is going to find its fulfillment in the Jubilee generation. And no wonder why the enemy is fighting so hard to produce racism and prejudice. But in Christ Jesus, the true Christ, with the true intention of God and the true purpose of God, it's nullified, it's destroyed, it's wiped out. There is no racism or prejudice that can stand before the cross. And when we allow the work of the cross to crucify our old nature and a new life springs forth, there is no prejudice. You don't even see it anymore. It's spirit. And this is the truth. This is what Jesus Christ has done. And not only... Did he come and preach peace, set at one again, with creation in God and creation among itself, to bring the one new man? Remember, it's all about a one new man. Not only did he do that, them which were far off, and to them that were nigh, in verse 18, for through him, through Jesus Christ, we both, the Jew and the Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. 
in the earth level, radicalization of blacks, radicalization of whites, radicalization of Latinos, Puerto Ricans, I mean radicalization in every race, right? Radicalization. Because the devil is the god of this world, and he keeps this thing burning, burning, burning. But every time a man or a woman comes to genuine faith in the Messiah of the Bible, the Spirit of God grants that soul, that born-again spirit, access to the Father. And once we access the Father, the transformation becomes awesome. What does that look like? The word access, okay, is the, whew, what a big word this one is. This is the prosegogogie, and it just means admission. Admission. The ability to approach a moving to, to God, the relationship with God, whereby we are acceptable to him and have assurance that he is favorably disposed towards us. So Jesus, through him, has granted all of Adam's race, all of it, access to the Father, which was the original intent of our Father. The cool thing is, is that when we come through Christ, we're born again and we are his sons and daughters. And therein we are separated from the unregenerate, unredeemed world of unbelievers. So we are in Christ and through Christ separated. But we are separated as a new creation species possessing a higher order of revelation, wisdom, and intelligence in the fallen race of man, who appear to be very intelligent and more intelligent than the children of light, Jesus actually said, in their generation. So when we are born again, we come out of the world, out of Adam, and we're born again into Christ, accessing the Father. The whole world can come through Christ, which is the intention. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So we are, who have accessed the Father, who have been born again, are to go into all the world and tell them, this stuff down here is nonsense. Why don't you come through Christ, have your sins forgiven, get born again, become a son or daughter of God, and let that earthly man dissolve and put on the new man, which is the unprecedented, unheard of, novel man. Live. See, this is the gospel. That's why this earth stuff. So now we're living. There are two men on the earth, Christ, as I said earlier, and Adam. That is the only separation. It's not anything other than a believer and an unbeliever. That's it. But we would reach out. See, the, 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 the new man, the Christ man, would be different than any other man in the fallen race because the new man reaches out to the lost man and brings him, drags him, compels him, come to the Father through Jesus Christ. And that's the difference in this separation. Those who are born again reach out to all creation with the love of the Father 
to bring every human being back. And then we leave the results to God. We leave all that other stuff to God. I know that he told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news of the peace that God wants to restore in his relationship with himself and to humankind. We leave the results to God. Whether we meet with black people, brown people, white people, red people, yellow people, we compel them to Christ. We preach Christ to all of them. Remember, there was a time that we believers were just as evil and just as wicked as every person on this earth right now. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why the Jews, even though they had the Mosaic Covenant, they still needed to be reconciled to God through the body of Jesus Christ. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What an amazing time to be alive. So, he concludes this in verse 19. These are the greatest scriptures you're ever going to read in your life, in my opinion. He concludes it with, now therefore. So I'm going to ask every pastor, every preacher, to stop building the wall that Christ tore down. When you preach, male and female, Jew and Gentile, bond and free, when you preach that kind of a message, you are preaching meaning you're building the middle wall back up that Christ tore down. Preachers of the new covenant do not rebuild the middle wall of partition by saying, oh, you're a Gentile and there's a Jew. No, it does not exist in the economy of Christ. But that is not against the Jews. And it's not favoritism toward the Gentiles. It is the purpose of God to bring the Jew and the Gentile to the highest order of creation through Christ, higher than the Mosaic law, higher than all of that stuff. It's the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ to bring both to God in one body, no longer Jew, Gentile, but Christ. This isn't against the Jews. This message is to take both the Jew and the Gentile up and into Now, you tell me something the world's doing. I mean, Elon Musk could build as many rockets as he wants to. The billionaires could have as much money as they want to. But if they are not born again and accessing the Father and becoming a new species, they are going to die, take nothing with them, and all their works will be burned up anyways, while people like me and you are going on into eternal life. Oh, my goodness, come on. Do you see that? So, now, therefore, you are no more strangers. You're not a stranger anymore. You are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the house hold of God. See, God has a house. His firstborn son was Jesus. 
We know that the Bene Elohim, uh, the angels of God, were known as the sons of God, but we know that Yahweh, Yahovah, God has one only begotten son, not created, but out from himself. Household of God talks about the building of God's house. God's house begins with his first son. And then Jesus, the firstborn son, according to Hebrews chapter 2, is bringing many sons unto glory. All creation is groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. God's household, you and I are no longer strangers, we are no longer foreigners, we are fellow citizens with the saints, the holy, sanctified, Jew-Gentile paradigm, gone human people who have been sanctified through the blood of Jesus, born again, that's what a saint is, it's the hagios, and we have, we're fellow citizens with, let me just look at that, the saints, and I know it's hagios, there it is, the hagios, the most holy, the pure, the morally blameless, consecrated, set apart, clean. And there's only one way to have that condition, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, the redeemed of the Lord, which were Jew and Gentile, but we're now higher than all of that end of the household of God. So we're fellow citizens with the household of God. We are his house. We are his sons and daughters. We are his house. In Hebrews chapter 3, we are the house of Jesus. Moses was over his house, but Yeshua over his house, which house we are. We're, We're sons. We're connected. It's spirit. And guess what? He doesn't stop there. In verse 20, he says, and are built. So we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. So here's God's house. Foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. So it all begins in him. God began the restoration and the building of his house. After 4,000 years of all that obscurity, Christ came, the first of a new species, and he's been working to bring people through his work on the cross back into this household. He's been building it for 2,000 years. He's the chief cornerstone. There's nothing before him. It's him who unites all into himself to bring back to the Father. And then... It says in 21, in whom, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, all the building, that's us, all believers, all the building, fitly framed together. We're getting fitly framed together. Our love for one another should be beyond anything this world has ever known because we're truly in the spirit. We're born again. We're looking and viewing one another in reality. We have a house. We belong to the household of God. We're the kids. We're the heirs. We're the joint heirs. We are the inheritors. We're the children. Hallelujah. Look at us. The world doesn't have that until they come 
And we should be making them jealous. We should be showing them this glory of God and what he's done through Christ and the cross. So in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Lord. And the final verse in verse 22, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So we have access by one Spirit, and we are a habitation of God through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you and I is what is bringing us, accessing us to the Father. Spirit. There's no racism in spirit. We don't even know Jesus Christ after the flesh. Paul said it is unwise to compare yourselves one to another. He said, in fact, you should know no man after the flesh. He's talking about the natural man and the races. Only a spiritual appreciation for the spiritual life in each person who has been born again. And a desire for all of creation to come back to the Father. Come on, that's the gospel. Adam's race is being so deeply manipulated by the powers of darkness as they have been since the beginning of the fall. Satan has been ruling with a hard hand, a heavy hand, bringing souls into eternal damnation, bringing the souls of the unredeemed and the unregenerate, the unbeliever, into eternal torment because he hates the creation of God. I leave all the tough questions to the Father. I don't dare try to understand anything that is just beyond my comprehension. I do know that the Bible says, if you do not believe, go into all the world, preach the gospel, he who believes shall be saved, he who does not believe shall be damned. I believe there's a lot of damning going on. It has been going on for 2,000 years at least. The damnation of souls. And the church should have a deeper appreciation for our own salvation to really want to reach out to fallen humanity and touch them and say, let me redirect you to the Father, not hate you, not get into your thing, your mind. We're, we're a different species if we're truly born again. If we're just religious, if we are members of the religion of Christianity, then I, and it, I should, we shouldn't expect anything of this kind of conversation, which would produce a conduct. How do you balance that with warn the wicked? We should warn them. We should tell them what they're doing is evil and wicked. You're, you're doomed. You're on the wide road that leads to destruction. You're going to die and go to hell and go to death. And, you're, you know, you're, you're just, you've got to tell people that they're doing evil. But then you've got to show them the path of access back to the Father through Jesus Christ. And my, it, it sets me free. It liberates me. It delivers me. All right. So I got there. I've got some more stuff that I really do want to share but I'm going to hesitate for a moment, and I am going to open the telephone lines to anybody that has a question or comment. The number is 
3690326. Let me give you that number right now. Here's what you do. Press 818-369-0326. Questions or comments? Uh, until we get there, let me take a look at some of our friends that are joining us on the air today in the chat room. I want to say good morning to David Ellefson. Hello, David. How are you, sir? Good to see you with us this morning. Uh, Sister Cindy Messman is with us. Good morning. God bless you, Cindy. Uh, praise the Lord. What a faithful friend. Melissa Fletcher, Pastor Melissa. Good morning, church. Good morning. I like the way it is. Brian and Kathy, good morning, everyone. Wait a second. They said, God morning, everyone. Is this Wednesday? Brian and Kathy, are you there? Mamma mia. I've, I need to talk to those guys. Brian and Kathy, call. Totally forgot. Today is our day to with them. I don't know why I did. Shirley Wolseley, good morning, church. Good morning, Shirley. Wow. Carla Dillon, Saturn V rocket, third canister is about to release. We are going where no man's gone before. Remain encouraged, PB. Thank you, Carla. I love that message. That's a beauty. David Ellison says, Chuck Missler talked about the witch of Endor, that Saul was saved, that Samuel said, I'll see you tomorrow. Then Saul fell on his sword also that he might, Nebuchadnezzar can't spell heaven. Okay, I don't know what that means. Man, am I feeling really bad right now. Kathy and Brian, our dear friends from Honduras. Uh, they said, Acts 10, 34 and 35, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Brian and Kathy, join me tomorrow on the air, if you will, please. Uh, I'll send you the invites and get myself back in order here. Uh, Brian and Kathy, yep. Brian and Kathy, no phone yet. Okay. No phone yet. Praise the Lord. So it has to be an internet connection. So join me tomorrow on the air, Brian and Kathy, so we could chat. All right. So waiting for your call. So let me ask you a question. I've got an, uh, let me just give you this for just a moment and show you what I'm talking about here. Um, this is an article. Um, the Great Realignment. It's talking about millions of Americans relocating for ideological re reasons. This is a true story. And it says, we are rapidly becoming two very different nations with two very different cultures in America. At one time, we truly were the United States of America, but now we have been split into two opposing camps that deeply hate one another. As a result, in recent years, we have watched millions of Americans relocate for ideological reasons. This has caused red states to become even redder and blue states to become even bluer, red representing Republican, blue Democrat. At this point, there are just a handful of purple states, and it is in those states where our presidential elections are determined. It's really not healthy for just a few states like Pennsylvania and Michigan to have such power, but that is a topic for another article. In this article, I want to discuss why the mass exodus from blue states to red states is actually going to accelerate in 2022. Right now, there is no issue in the United States that is more divisive than the COVID vaccine. Most conservatives want to be able to have the freedom to choose whether to take the injections or not, while many of the left want to use the power of government to compel people to get injected. It has truly been frightening to watch many of the left embrace authoritarianism so eagerly 
and many leftist politicians just continue to tighten down the screws. For example, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio just decided to impose a very strict vaccine mandate on all private employers in his entire city. Mayor Bill de Blasio announced that uh, what he called a first-in-the-nation vaccine mandate for private companies Monday. He said the combination of the Omicron variant and holiday gatherings forced him to take bold steps. He's giving businesses just three weeks to make sure their workers are vaccinated. If you don't get the jab, you won't be allowed to keep your job. There will, be, there will not be a testing option under this new mandate, and so anyone that refuses to comply will be kicked to the curb two days after Christmas. Hmm. De Blasio said the city will release specific rules on December 15th before the mandate takes effect December 27th. He said it will apply to in-person employees, but would not provide any details about enforcement. He also said there will not be a weekly testing option. So this is going on in New York, all right? And just a little further in the article, we are being told that this new mandate will apply to approximately 184,000 businesses, and that means that vast numbers of New Yorkers will soon be forced to search for greener pastures. One of them is a woman named Cynthia. She told a reporter that this mandate gave her yet another reason to get the heck out of New York. Cynthia, an employee at a midtown marketing firm who refused to share her last name due to, her, due to fear of blowback, told the Post that the new requirement is another reason to leave the city. Just terrific. Bill de Blasio just gave me another reason I need to get out of New York or at least find a job that lets me work remotely, she said. Where will thousands upon thousands of displaced New Yorkers like Cynthia go? Well, one conservative member of Congress that represents New York fears that many of them will head to the free state of Florida. Mayor de Blasio can't leave fast enough. He has crushed small businesses, the economy, and quality of life. How many more New Yorkers does he want to see move to the free state of Florida, said U.S. Representative Nicole Maliotakis, who represents Staten Island and Brooklyn. So New York is going to get even bluer in 2022, and Florida will be getting even redder. Down in Massachusetts, hundreds of hospital workers were just ruthlessly canned because they refused to comply with the vaccine mandate. About 200 UMass Memorial Health employees are out of a job because they missed the healthcare system's COVID vaccination deadline. UMass Memorial announced that the mandate over the summer with a deadline to get vaccinated or receive an exemption by November 1st. Employees were let go on December 1st if they did not get the vaccination. So, Many of those displaced health workers aren't going to be able to find similar work in Massachusetts, and so they will head to red states. As for UMass Memorial Health, I am not sure exactly what they plan to do. You can't just pull people off the streets to be medical professionals. They will probably be shorthanded for a long time to come, and that is just going to hurt the people and they are supposing to be serving. In Oregon, a different sort of mandate has people thinking that it may be time to relocate. If you can believe it, officials in Oregon are actually thinking of making their indoor mask mandate permanent. The Oregon Health Authority assembled a rules advisory committee earlier this week to address a permanent indoor mask mandate in the state. Oregon is one of a few states that will retain one nearly two years into the pandemic. 
The committee included several community state, uh, stakeholders, including representatives from the hospitality industry, the business sector, and faith communities, according to local ABC affiliate KATU. I cannot understand why any rational decision maker would want to do such a thing, but apparently they are quite serious. There are a whole lot of very conservative people that live in Eastern Oregon, and I think that even more of them are going to be moving over the border into Idaho in 2022. And beginning November 30th, all unvaccinated individuals are now banned. Listen to this. This is Canada. Speaking of Canada, beginning November 30th, all unvaccinated individuals are now banned from using any form of public transportation. In Canada, any travelers older than 12 years old must show proof of full vaccination to take any form of public transportation, including domestic and international flights, as well as trains. All right, so there it is. My God. The Canadian province of New Brunswick has even allowed grocers to ban unvaccinated food shoppers with the slogan, no jab, no food. All right, so I read that for a reason. We have been talking about a supernatural transformation in a new creation species, biblical. How then shall we live in this world where we literally are witnessing the mark of the beast during the three and a half year total eclipse? That's what's coming. How many more things have to happen before that mark is established globally all over the world? Now, do you know how to live without using the food stores, banks, electricity companies, vehicle insurance, purchasing gasoline, having medical care, because if you don't know how to live on this earth without this world's system, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. None of us know how, quite frankly, except for those who have tested the waters of being off the grid. Okay, there's been a lot of that in our generation. Without the mark of the beast, you're witnessing it. No travel, no shopping, and it's going to get more intense, and it's going to become more established, and there will be a full three and a half years of that system in operation on this earth. They have to break the system and those who use it, and whatever system they come up with, economic, healthcare, energy, all these things will be under the control of the global satanic beast empire. And the only people that will be able to utilize the resources of planet Earth in the system will be those who have the mark. The last time I read my Bible in the Old Testament, I saw that there was a God in heaven that took his people out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness and gave them water out of a rock, bread from heaven, brought the quail into the camp, 
Their shoes did not wear out. They had food and water in a wilderness where no systems existed. The Bible says that we living in these last days, that we are going into the wilderness, not a pre-tribulational rapture. That the overcomers are going into the wilderness where God has prepared a place for them. Where is the wilderness that God is bringing you into? People are relocating ideologically because of ideological differences. They're relocating to places where there's freedom. So you have a a divided United States of vaccinated, unvaccinated people that want choice and those who don't. But eventually, a house divided cannot stand. So a global new world order will come in and crush the divided house and take dominion over it with a people that we've never seen the likes of that have no love in their hearts for anything concerning God or Jesus Christ or Americans. And a global new world order will be established through the United Nations with an Islamic beast raging through the nations and a mystery Babylon riding that beast, steering it, the mystery societies, the secret societies, the secret religions of the world. This is all happening as we're talking. I'm going to make a prediction, not a prophecy, not a thus faith the Lord. I'm going to make a prediction. I predict by April 1st, I will not be on this program any longer because God will have said, shut it down. That's a prediction. I believe that the final months of December, January, February, and March, something's going to shift. Whether it's war that changes the landscape, the landscape of our nation has already changed to a degree. The landscape of the world has already changed to a degree. There's something coming this winter. And when the Bible says, when Jesus said, pray that your flight be not in the winter, you should really start praying that. You should really start praying. And I'm only saying this is an intuition, an unction, spiritual discernment, something. We won't be here April 1st is my prediction. I'm going to let it sit right there because what the Bible has predicted that is coming, I don't think you're going to be able to move freely. That's how fast it's coming. And I don't think people understand that God says in the last days he's going to cut his work short and he's going to squeeze and throttle end time events. They're not going to take all this time. Throttle it, squeeze it, is what he says in Revelation chapter 1. The time is at hand. The egios, the kairos, because it's being throttled and squeezed, and it's like a tachometer. The intakos, with speed, stage is set. A little bit more resistance, and yet the crushing will come, because a house divided cannot stand. Where will we be and how will we live? Where will we get our food from? Where will we get water from, milk? Where will we get supplies? How did it change? 
It's something to think about. And it would be wise to keep thinking. But in that born-again spirit, you have intelligence and wisdom and a God who is well able. Trust him with all your heart and pray and seek his face. Be reconciled to your father. You could talk to your daddy about anything. Fear not, but be wise as a serpent and as a dove. Know and understand Bible prophecy. Jesus said, therefore, I have told you. In Matthew 24, Mark 13, I've told you what's going to be. Don't be ignorant and do nothing. Prepare. Be a wise virgin. That's it for me. I'm so sorry that I didn't have Brian and Kathy with me today. Uh, we'll, hopefully they'll join me tomorrow on the air. Until we meet again, this is Pastor Vince. It's been an honor to be with everybody today. I hope that this helped in some way. Uh, Pastor Jeff is saying um, Judge Baker from Georgia temporarily blocked implementation of Biden mandate after a lawsuit from several states argued that Jan mandate causes irreparable injury to workers, forcing them out of their jobs. Thank God for that. Jody Keene says, don't come to Florida. It's too crowded. Now, go to Oklahoma. Amen. (laughs) All right. Praise the Lord. Got to go. See you tomorrow. Shalom.